Thanks for checking out the Long and Short of It podcast. You can find us on all good podcast platforms. Please consider following or subscribing. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games on the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Dan and I'm joined by... I'm Lawrence. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome. You seem to have a mouthful. I don't anymore. I was eating grapes. Um, but I've now finished the grapes. I've put them to one side. I've um, I've made a discovery this afternoon about slash grapes. evening. Not, well, it could be about grapes. I've um, I found out what girl dinner is. Is that uh, a, right. a term that you've come across before? Is it uh, appropriate for the <laughs> yeah, yeah, Yes, it is. It's uh, age appropriate? Yes, it is age appropriate. It's... Uh, I mean, it's just effectively something that apparently girls say that they have when they don't feel like cooking. Like, oh, it's girl dinner. And it's like, I don't know, like three peanuts and just ba- basically not a meal um, is, is what girl dinner is. Um, that's what I'm having this evening, girl dinner, which is some grapes and a protein shake. So what do you think about that? Right. Well, that's... <laughs> well, I mean... What a way to kick off a podcast. What are you having for dinner? I don't know. Don't know. Grapes? Maybe three grapes and a, and a, a smoothie. Oh, that sounds really nice. That sounds lovely. Well, yeah. yeah. Girl dinner. That's um, right. It's girl dinner. Very nice. So you're learning, okay. learning new terms. <laughs> it's uh, we relied on that one quickly. If this bit's still in, something's gone horribly wrong. <laughs> it's definitely going to be in. And... And it and inevitably will be in, yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, so today we are here to discuss a game. The game that we are here to discuss is one of my picks for my selection of 15 to go onto the top 100 list. Um, that game is Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Double Agent. Um, now... I was uh, I was kind of I I have a plan for this episode as 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 we usually do. I'm just trying as one to would hope. Locates a good spot to put my notepad. Um, so ignore any shuffling there. Shan't. So, uh, this game has two versions, and there are some differences beyond that. Uh, this was a game that was released cross generational, and there is the um, the version that was released on the. Xbox 360, the PS3, and PC, which scored um, an 85 on Metacritic and was developed by Ubisoft Shanghai. Um, but that's not the version we're discussing today. The version we are discussing today is the previous gen version, which is called, which is known as version two. Um, so version two was released on the Xbox, PS2, and GameCube although there are further differences between the consoles. Um, the one that I picked is the Xbox version, which was released in the year 2006 with a meta score of 89, and it was developed by Ubisoft Montreal. Um, so, I know that you played a different version. What version did you play? Different version, but the same Uh I think, mm, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a, a few, a few differences. differences, yeah. But it's um, you've got version one on like the Xbox 360 and PS3, which is like the a, effectively a completely different game, and then yes. version two, 
which you've just noted that we played, which was for the original Xbox, GameCube, and PS2. So that is the same game, but there are a few small differences here and there, I believe. So the differences consist of um, some, basically, the level the levels stuff, are the it? same. Yeah, the levels are the same in name, but they are level design changes. So um, some of the ways that you progress are different. So, for example, on the PS2 and GameCube version, you might climb a ladder. Um, on the Xbox version, you might um, have to climb up a cage. Yeah. And the loading scenes, screens are different in that the, the Xbox doesn't have many. Um, it has a couple of levels with maybe one loading screen whereas the ps2 and gamecube has them more frequently and the levels are broken up into smaller chunks which i think they did that with a lot of the um splinter cell games on the ps2 and gamecube um compared to the xbox which was always the it's kind of like the 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 home of splinter cell and yeah the, the original the original version was on the xbox and and if you remember the original version of splinter cell came out on the xbox i think about a year before it came to ps2 and gamecube and then they uh, the, the way I would describe it is that they're kind of ported downwards to the PS2 and the GameCube because they weren't as powerful. Um, so graphically, it's not quite on par. Um, and you may take some different paths through the levels. So, for example, um, there's one of the one of the objectives in one of the early missions, the foundation, the, the, the foundation, the foundry in Iceland um, is to do something with four control panels uh, and you, your objective is to do something with four control panels whereas on the ps2 it's broken up into two control panels here and then when you get to the next loaded area two control panels there um so yeah some n- not major differences by any means but um some small differences here and there and the ps2 um, is where i played it yes you played it on the ps2 and there is a bit of a discrepancy with score as well so the PS2 version got a meta score of 84, whereas, as we said, the um, Xbox version has a score of 89. The GameCube version, I don't know what happened here, has a score of 64. So, um, big discrepancy there. So, quite, quite a range, really, um, across what is essentially the same version of a game. Um, now, as we do in these lookbacks, these whatever they are that we do reviews these things, these girl dinners retrospectives yes correct that's the one that's the word i was looking for um we ch- we take a look at what the critic that rated the game with the lowest score said and what the critic that rated the game with the highest score said can i guess what so, the, the highest rating said i reckon they said i reckon no i haven't i reckon they said yeah, it's really nice. And I think that's it. With that accent as well. All right. Am I right? That is not correct. That ah. was the second from top, actually. Yes, surprising. Really nice. But yes, the actual right. score. <laughs> um, so the lowest scoring um, review was by Games Radar, quite a well-known publication. Uh, still a score of 80, which is respectable. Galvanised by the well-implemented trust management system, Splinter Cell Double Agent proves to be another great game in this venerable series. By delving further into the character of Sam Fisher, Ubisoft manages to keep the series vital, much to our delight. That's quite a uh, 
praiseworthy review there. And to which um, we are all delighted. We are. Not quite the uh, review that you described, but almost. Almost. I'd say that's very close. And our top rating review is a score of 93 from the official Xbox Magazine UK. Um, this is a true classic and a beautifully made one at that. Rediscover Splinter Cell all over again. And we promise you, there's no way this cracker will stab you in the back. Bit of a pun there. Nice, nice. like that, yeah. <laughs> Good. Nice little, uh, nice little joke there by Xbox official. Pay the jokes there. And the promise as well. And you can't break those. So, you can't and classic the word classic yes, yes. quite the word they used <laughs> yes as we always do uh, it's always good to start with a recap of where you are with the series where you are with the game have you played it before do you have a history with it um, what are any notable memories uh, my most notable memory is thinking that it's really nice um, <laughs> but no I see this is going to be a recurring comment <laughs> maybe for the rest of my life um, but no, I, I have played it quite a few times before. I had it on the PS2 when I was but a boy. Um, I think I probably... I mean, we, we, we've we covered three Splinter Cell games on the list now, haven't we? We did yeah. Pandora Tomorrow, Chaos Theory, and now this one. And yeah. I was very honest about my opinion of Pandora Tomorrow. When you we, adored it, and you thought it was game of the century. I thought it was really nice. Um, I did not, however, think that. I thought that Pandora Tomorrow was crap. I didn't enjoy it at all. Um, Well, those are the words you used at the time? I don't think they were the words I used at the time, but I I, I really don't like that game. That was a brutal appraisal of Pandora Tomorrow. (laughs) Crap. But no, I I don't really like that game. Then when it comes to Chaos Theory, I think that's one of the better games that is in the original Top 100 list. Um, I agree. It's got some fantastic levels in there. Um. Yeah, it's just an overall good game. Whereas Double Agent one of is one the best stealth games ever made. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd probably, I'd put it in the top ten stealth games of all time. I'd put it in the top five. You'd put it in the top one, wouldn't you? <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Nah. That's where I draw the line. Um. Whereas Double Agent is very different, and well, not very different, but it's it's, it's, it's a different different vibe from the other games because of the story. Um, but I've played through this game probably about five or six times. But I think I noted at the end of our last episode, I probably haven't played this game for about 10 to 15 years. In fact, yeah, probably closer to 15 years than... So a bit of a rediscovery. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I remembered, like, as, as I was playing through it, I remembered all of the bits Like when I came to them. I was like, oh yeah, I remember this bit. Oh yeah, I remember this bit. But uh, yeah, I've not played it for a very long time. But, you know, relatively large amount of history with with the series and yeah I've, I've played this game you know multiple times in the previous but i've never played the, you... the version on the xbox 360 i've not not played ah, version so one. that was going to be my question yeah never played yeah. that so i've only ever played the ps2 version of this game i uh we've we talked a bit about the history with splinter cell series so i'm not going to mm. go over that again yeah, yeah go and listen to the other episodes if you want to hear that they're very good but, yeah um this this game particularly, Double Agent, I played this first, version one, and I played it on, I, I don't know if it was the 360 or the PS3. Um, I think you played it, it on the been... PS3, based off nothing. I just have a feeling that would be where you would have played it. Well I, well, I had a 360 before I had a PS3, and then I sold the 360 for the PS3, but it was around this time, so mm. can't really put my finger on where I played it first. May have been the PS3. Um 
so I played that version first. That that version is good. Um, it's got some good levels in there, particularly the Shanghai level. That's a that's a nice level there. Um, but it's in terms of the gameplay, it's a step back from Chaos Theory. Yeah, and it's a bit finicky. It's a different the engine, AI isn't is a it? Bit, it is a different engine. The AI, the AI is a bit all over the place and doesn't always work. So you'll get to the end of a level and it will say spotted twice, but for the life of you, you can't work out where you were spotted. Mm. Um, but the game seems to think you were spotted somewhere. So yeah, it's it's a bit rough at times and there are some levels that are particularly rough. Um, in the in the level where you're out in the ice and you're going to the ship, which does exist there, but looks quite different. Um, that level is in daylight, but there are very few places in, in the dark to hide. And it feels like something was missed there and that the shadows weren't implemented that well. So you're just always in the open. There's, there's a swimming section as well, isn't there? In um... There is, and that that is one of the cool things. There's a swimming section... Um, there's a couple of swimming sections actually, and there's some underwater, yeah. um, or there's some some kills that you can do um, from underwater, which is quite cool. So yeah, that that was a nice improvement. It's it's a good game, but it it's not a great game. No, and there are flaws, and there there are some good bits as well. So that's where I played it first, and then I, looking back, I I had played double agent version two before but i'd only played it at a friend's house on the ps2 funnily enough and what we played was the two-player co-op yeah now i remember replaying the same few levels time and time again but never getting anywhere so i don't know if we got stuck but i've been replaying the co-op on the xbox and i've gotten a lot further so i think it was probably something that we were doing um was wrong and we weren't getting any further. And that was my really the extent of my experience with version 2. And then I think I kind of had forgotten that version 2 existed. And then probably about 10 years later, or maybe maybe a bit less than that, um, I was looking at Splinter Cell. I don't know why. Maybe I'd just run through, done a run-through of um, the original game Pandora Tomorrow and Chaos Theory. And I thought, oh, I'll play Double Agent again and looked it up. Yeah. realised there was this version 2 and realised that the Xbox version was very highly acclaimed from the makers of Chaos Theory, although not quite the same team. Apparently some key members had left by then, um, but still Ubisoft Montreal, who created Chaos Theory nonetheless. Um, so I thought, okay, I'm interested here. Picked it up on the Xbox, probably on the Xbox One, um, and played through it and I had a blast with it I thought it was really good I thought it was a natural sort of extension of Chaos Theory and um, developed in the right places not groundbreaking nothing um, dramatically different between this and Chaos Theory but given how good Chaos Theory is not necessarily a bad thing um, and I've replayed it again since then and obviously replayed it again for this episode and we're kind of where we are um so onto a section that I've titled Sorry Old Friend. Do you know why I've titled it that? Because of one of the choices that you can make in the game? 
Yeah. So this game is full of choices that play out in game. Do you know which choice particularly? About Lambert? Yes. Yes. So I'm going to let you um, give a rundown of the narrative and then maybe we'll go over some of these choices and some of the um, the depth that's added here that is missing perhaps in some of the other Splinter Cell games. Okay, so uh, the game starts as any other Splinter Cell game would where Sam is dispatched on a mission to uh, track down some, some weapons from, from some Russians in Iceland. Um, about three quarters of the way through the mission, Lambert, who is Sam's handler, gets in touch and says the mission's aborted, get out. And Lambert meets Sam in the in the helicopter on the way back and basically tells him that his daughter Sarah, who's quite a big um, part of the previous Splinter Cell games in terms of Sam's relationship, because it's kind of the only person that he has in his life other than his work people. Uh, but Sarah's been hit by a drunk driver and she's died. Sam then kind of understandably goes on a bit of a... A spiral. Off the rails. Yeah, uh, until Lambert kind of wants to put his arm around him and help him refocus. So he puts him in a scheme, which is a, a, an undercover operative um, scheme, effectively. Think uh, think The Departed, um, with DiCaprio being undercover with, uh, with Jack Nicholson's crew. So Fisher is tasked with infiltrating a terrorist organization called John Brown's Army or the JBA. And in order to do so, he is he breaks some laws and is put in prison um, to befriend a guy called Jamie Washington, who's a known member of the JBA. You escape the prison with Jamie, meets the other members of the JBA in New Orleans. And then from there, you're kind of playing a duality kind of game where each mission is tasked with completing um, objectives for the JBA, like setting up bombs and, you know, terroristy things. But at the same time, you're also, obviously, you're, you're an embedded agent. You're, you're still working for the NSA. So you've got Lambert, who's still in touch with you, who is giving you the objectives to bring down the JBA from inside and, you know, get information out, etc. And the game is very much based on you know, walking the line between maintaining the trust of the JBA and completing tasks for them, but as well as that, not kind of losing yourself in terms of, you know, the JBA might say, okay, on this mission, we want you to kill everyone and they're civilians. So the NSA is like, well, no, don't do that because killing civilians is bad. And every decision that you make will impact a trust meter that one side is the JBA and one side is the NSA. And as as you make more decisions that are kind of hilted towards one faction, the other faction becomes a lot more untrusting of you. And if you get to a point where you've completely run out of trust on one of the sides, they'll say, well, you know, there's something going on, we don't trust you, get to a laptop immediately um, so that you can kind of prove that you're not messing about and, you know, playing both sides and rebuild some trust. But yeah, the game goes on. It's effectively the JBA wanting... Did that happen to you? Uh, once. I've never had that happen to me. So what exactly happens? Uh, so the the main villain, the the head of the JBA, a guy called Emile Dufresne, uh, gets in touch. And he, he says something like, uh, I, th- I think there's a mole. I think someone's taking our data. Get to a laptop 
um, and upload your... I, I don't know if Sam's got like a tracker on him or something to show what he's doing or where he is, but upload your tracker information so we can make sure that you're not, you know, playing both sides. Um, and then you've got about two minutes to find a laptop. And if you don't find a laptop within those two minutes, then uh, the mission fails. And you're, quite interesting. you're compromised. So, yeah. But as, as the game goes on, you, you have to make more and more decisions whether or not you're going to blow up a cruise ship with effectively a nuclear bomb, um, whether or not you're going to give up Lambert, um, which has very dire conse- uh, consequences. And the decisions that you make through the game effectively lead up to the end of the game where, depending on what you did, uh, the, the ending credit scene will be like, okay, three bombs have gone off or no bombs have gone off and they've all been disarmed. So you can play the game how you want. You can kind of lose yourself and become a member of the JBA to some extent, or you can continue working with the NSA throughout and, you know, being a, a good good mole, effectively. So the sorry old friend is the decision around Lambert. And when I when I first played this game, I chose to save Lambert. And then the second time I played it, I chose to sacrifice Lambert because he dies if if you choose not to um if you choose to give him up and you just get a really nice sound cue delivered by the wonderful Michael Ironside where he says sorry old friend and with the weight of a handler that's been um giving you missions and briefing you for four games now um it's the equivalent of Colonel Campbell isn't he from MGS yeah you're just giving giving him up and it's quite um poetic in that way and one other brilliant moment you mentioned it before so in in version one which again was the version that i first played the xbox 360 ps3 version yeah correct and so you you do the iceland mission in the foundry and you finish the mission and then you get a cutscene, and it's like sarah's dead but there's nothing in the mission that hints at that. You just complete the mission as usual. So when I first played version two and I knew the the backstory and then you, you randomly hack a laptop and then you get comms from Lambert and you get it over the comms. I was like, really? They're doing it in the middle of the mission mm. and I have to get out. I thought that was really cool. Um, and Lambert's stating how serious it is it says he says it's to do with your daughter and you you've got to get out that's what you've got to do you've got to give up the mission you've got to abandon your objectives and get out and yeah and there's great piece of music that's playing all the while and you know something's happened but obviously if you didn't know the backstory you wouldn't know what that was yet and it's just really nicely done and goes to break that template that the Splinter Cell series has had since the first game. Mm. Um, so another nice moment there. So, what's changed between this and Chaos Theory? You've alluded to some of the changes already, but let's um, spell them out for people. It's the the, the the Chaos Theory, Splinter Cell 1 and Splinter Cell 2, are very much, you are an agent, you have specific missions with an overarching story, whereas this one is it's very different instead of you know espionage into government buildings and stuff like that this is the case that this game um like the second mission has you breaking out of a prison 
Um, and then from yeah. there, you've got like a mission on a cruise ship where you're tasked with either setting up a bomb to test that that it works or to disarm the bomb. Um, the, the the levels are very different, and I think as well as that, you've got choices to make. And I'd I'd say that's the big defining feature of of Double Agent is the choices that you can make have an actual impact, like you say, um, on how the game pans out and what ending you get because I think there's about two or three endings aren't there there's three endings I believe yeah one where you disarm all the bombs one where one of the bombs goes off and then one where all of the bombs go off uh, depending on how you've played it yeah and um, when this game was advertised before it came out one of the things that you saw all over the promotional stuff was plain clothes Sam we'd never seen plain clothes Sam before um so on some of the artwork, you see Sam in a leather jacket in mm-hmm. like just jeans and a, and that's always really intriguing because you had this game which really was quite straight laced, um, and you always had Sam in his sneaking suits, and then you see him, him in plain clothes, which I don't actually think you see in the game itself. You do see no. him in a jumpsuit though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it kind of emphasised this change in character, this change in direction for the series, and. Probably was one of the things that the series was missing, that, that layer of um, personality that they'd not quite scratched yet, that other similar stealth games, i.e. Metal Gear Solid, mm. had kind of mastered. Um, but they'd not done it here. They got great actor playing Sam Fisher yeah. underutilised because he didn't have the scripts to work with. And here, you get to see a bit more of his metal. Um, so yeah, definitely... Uh, Definitely the story and the places you go and the trust meter, as you say, balancing it between John Brown, John Brown's army and um, NSA, the NSA. Yeah. Multiple endings. Um, if you, with the trust meter, if you're um, siding with the JBA, you get um, sort of a lethal arsenal. And yes. if you side with the NSA, you get more of a high-tech arsenal as well. So it does have an impact on the gameplay. Not a huge one, no. but an impact nonetheless and um you've got some new mini games in there you've got the hacking mini game you've got the bomb diffusing mini game mm-hmm. and you've got some new moves that are quite nice as well so you've got the plunge move where if you're standing over some ice you can plunge people into the water below um you've got mm, like the, the if you're in a pool of water you can drag people down into the water and drown them um some other I'm nice sure moves. Couple of moves. Yeah, there's one where you can grab people through glass and, and yes. uh, or, or ice. That's quite cool as well. And those those moves are always really fun to do. So it's nice to have an expanded arsenal of moves to do. Um, it brings us nicely onto our ever-present feature gameplay is king. So is Splinter Cell Double Agent fun to play? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you can answer this question any differently than Chaos Theory because it is ostensibly yeah. the same game. Um you know, different levels and a few different mechanics in play, such as the choice system and, you know, how you want to play it in terms of your personality. But it's still the same game as Chaos Theory is. And I think I said that that game's fun. Um, and, and there are a lot of different ways you can play it as a, you know, as a stealth game, as a gung-ho, crazed, gun-wielding Shotgun. maniac. Um, you, you can Sniping. Play, sniping, yeah. There, there, there's so many different ways to play it. But yeah, the same as Chaos Theory. This is a fun game to play. Um, would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it has its it has its 
there are there are a few moments in the missions where the enemy placement makes progressing difficult if you're going for a certain path i.e. Yeah. stealth um but not not so bad as in pandora's tomorrow or the original splinter cell no so it has its um few moments has its where flaws it, yeah where it takes it away from you but there are times where this game flies mm-hmm. in, a, in the same way that chaos theory did and when it's flying there isn't much in the way of stealth that can top it um, there, there are like the way I look at this game is there are some very big highs, but at the same time there are some lows as well. Like yep. there are some great levels in this uh, in this game, but at the same time they're brought down by things that maybe aren't best suited for this game. Um, I think, and I'd say the good outweigh the bad, but there are elements in there where you're just a bit like, Ugh, you know. I think we'll get. I think we'll get into it because I think I think I know what you're referring to. I don't necessarily agree, but yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get into that. Mm. Um, how did you kill Emile Dufresne in the end? Well, this this is what I was uh, this is what I was alluding to. Well, I hate I hate podcasts where they use the word alluding so much. I've been listening to quite a few recently, <laughs> and I realise that you and me say it all the time as well. And every time I listen to a podcast to? now, I hear the word alluding. I'm like ah. Um, alluding is the podcast word of choice in the year 2023 that's correct i was alluding to the fact i don't really like the the fight with emil at the end Um, no it's not great no i did it in a really fun way though (laughs) the time that i just did it it doesn't feel like it fits with the kind of game it is because it's weird yeah it is very strange um but i had a few flashbangs i threw those and then managed to sneak up on him as well as finding some openings when he wasn't shooting me and then went up behind him and grabbed him um but i can't remember the way that i I did it in years gone but i'm pretty sure i've done it in a few different ways over the years how did you do it i I mean i died about three times before i managed to actually get it down um so i I think the uh, you're right in saying it's not the best boss fight and I, i feel like the fight with moss beforehand is a lot better um because you can really stealth it and he's not aware of you and you can completely stealth it and uh, yeah I, I like that boss fight and i feel like that's a splinter cell boss fight done right but this time um i've done it before where i've gone up behind him i've grabbed him i've interrogated him and then killed him um this time i thought i can't be bothered with that so i just equipped a grenade and threw it at him and he died nice that works <laughs> yeah works surprisingly easily yep quite died straight away and <laughs> So that that was fun. I'd recommend that. Um, what's your favourite move to do in this game? Um, I think when we talked about Chaos Theory, I think from memory anyway, I think it was the um, the, the pistol that could you know. Oh yeah, that's cool. you know yeah, screw with electronics. Um, yeah. To be honest with you, in this game, because I wanted to play it non-lethally, because I wanted to be as NSA as i could yeah you yeah that's that's kind of a drawback of playing it stealthily non-lethally isn't it that you have to either avoid people altogether or you just use non-lethal it's yeah it's how i play most um most stealth games to be honest with you and it does kind of break the experience a bit um but you know whenever we play metal gear solid i usually try and do it uh non-lethally like i use trank guns and stuff which kind of break the game um but Favourite move, yeah, sorry, I got uh, got got a little bit sidetracked then. But yeah, I tried to play it non-lethally. 
And it's been a feature, I think it was in Pandora Tomorrow, definitely in Chaos Theory, but just going up to people and smacking them in the face. Because like yeah. Sam does this thing where he kind of... It's like he gets a flat palm, so he doesn't put his hand into a fist. He kind of flattens out his palm and just smashes people in the head so they go flying. And it was definitely in Chaos Theory. Um, it's in Chaos Theory. So the move in, in the original spin, so on Pandora Tomorrow was sort of just a traditional melee attack where, you, where he just swings an elbow. That was it, yeah. But you can you can do it at any time and it's not very effective, whereas in Chaos Theory, it's more like, um, I would describe it as a takedown. Um, and it's a takedown here as well. Yeah, it's a very, it's a nice move, yeah. Yeah, it's very satisfying to hear the, the smack of the palm on the head. Um, but yeah, probably that. What about you? Um, of the new takedowns, I quite like the... Uh, Killing from a pool of water mm-hmm. by dragging someone down and drowning them. That was quite a nice touch. Um, I th- I remember what I said for Chaos Theory, and it, it stands true here. Um, the the predator mode that you go into when you get close to an enemy. Yeah, where you Sam go a lot lower. Right down. Yeah, and you just have complete control over every mm-hmm. slight movement, which is really necessary. And yeah. something that so many stealth games miss. Um, it means that when you need to do those fine tuned movements you can do them yeah. and you're not accidentally going to press forward and knock into an enemy um so that's that's a really cool thing that returns here as you say it's similar to chaos theory so what worked in chaos theory works here yeah I, okay I so. let's let's talk a bit about the levels um talk about your three favorite levels please first of all I would say in third place is probably New York, so the last level. Um, and why why New York? I th- I remember playing that level a lot when I was younger, and I think it's got a very because it takes place just before Christmas, doesn't it? Um, so the rooftops are it's all snowy. Yeah, it's, it's a blizzard, and there's a very specific moment right at the end of that and it happens in a cutscene but I always remember thinking when I uh, was younger that it was very cool and I remember seeing it again now and I was like oh wow I've forgotten about that 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 is really cool um so yeah New York Enrica it's when so yeah it was when Enrica um gets shot by the splinter cell agent and Sam does the really cringy devil may cry thing where he, ah. He's like, yeah, and then he kind of falls back. And as the, the camera pans out, <laughs> I don't out, think he's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is it that, uh, that Dante says in um, Devil May Cry? I could have turned your dark soul full of light something or something. Into the holy light. Yeah, Sam says that, um, incidentally. I should have been the one to, to something like something Yes, like. horrendous writing. Um, it's great. <laughs> best. Nope. But there's um, he kind of has his little um, exclamation of love to this woman that he's known for ten minutes, and then he kind of falls back. And as the camera pans Real. out, he gets covered by snow, um, and you can see the snow covering both him and Enrica. And he must stay there for a bit of time because then when that that's the bit I thought was cool, just like the covering. Uh, and then you know within a couple of minutes later, the splinter cell agent that shot Enrica comes, and Sam kind of rises out of the snow, slits the guy's throat and then goes on the run and that's oh, the end yeah. of the game. Um, yeah. But yeah, I really like New York. Um, it's it's very high stakes and your cover's completely blown by the time you do that mission. So everyone is fair game in terms of lethality. 
Um, yes. And the only drawback of that mission is the fight with Emil, which I think is very misplaced in this game. Um, second place would be the train uh, train robbery. Oh, yeah, money train. Yeah, I think that's good. So I played that non-lethally, well, as non-lethally as, as I could. Um, but I, I think it takes place in New York as well, doesn't it? It's in the, the New York underground. Um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a it's a big city, a uh, big city train where you effectively have to get a bit of information, get on a train, and um, derail it, uh, which I thought was quite cool. But my my favourite yes. level, uh, as it was back then and as it still is now, is the the prison break. Um, okay, it it made me think back to when you, me, and a few others watched Prison Break when we were at uni. Um, it's got a very Prison Break esque kind of vibe about it. It's in the TV show, um, but I've replayed that level so 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 many times um, back in the day, and I remembered it all beat for beat, pretty much playing through it now. And I think it's just very, um, very different compared to everything else in the game. Yeah, and there aren't very many games from the top of my head that I can think of. Oh, there's a Prison Break mission, and it's really good. Um, I think the Prison Break mission in this game is brilliant. You should play um, Chronicles of Riddick: Escape from Butcher Bay. It's basically a a, an escape from prison game. A big prison break. Yeah, nice. Um, What are yours? So I'm going to give an honourable mention first of all to um, the Foundry in Iceland. Yeah, that's all right. It is. It's a tutorial level, and with all the the pros and cons that go with the tutorial level, in that there are briefings at points, and it's a bit hand-holding, it's a bit linear, but at the same time, it gives you an opportunity to try all your new moves. Um, it has that great moment where Sam finds out about Sarah. It's just got a really good atmosphere, and it's a good showcase for what the game will be. Yeah. Um, so that's a kind of an honourable mention. Um, I would put the prison break in third yeah um so uh that is a is very good mission and and another interesting thing they do again to break the formula with the mission is you start off and you have a meeting with lambert and you're doing an odd task which is sort of a self-contained mission in itself yeah and then time passes and then you're back in the prison and then you're doing your escape there's a riot again that's not yeah, that's not something you see in a Splinter Cell game typically, so that was quite nice. Yeah. I also, I find the bits, first of all, when, when you're with Jamie and he he won't listen to your instructions and he'll just go off and stand in the light and, and draw attention to you. They're really annoying. Mm-hmm. But as soon as he gets um, locked up in the gas chamber and you're on your own, the level really picks up. Yeah. And then when you meet him again, he will listen to your instructions, so that's good. And it's got a great finale in the chapel and you're coming out and then you finally Climb make your out escape. The skylight. Yeah, yeah, so very it's a cool mission. It is. Um very atmospheric. Um my next favourite would be New York. Um New York is almost almost a classic level in Splinter Cell on in the same vein as the bank heist in Chaos Theory. Yeah. It's almost that. For me, the last third of it, where you get to Emil's men and the Emil fight itself, lets it down. But everything up to um, the Moss fight is just great. 
So yeah, you've got lethality that you can use. I was actually doing a lethal run this time because I don't usually do that and I thought I just want to change it up. Um, do as many executions as possible and just have fun. Um, like a psycho. Yeah. Yes, yeah, correct. So you, you start off in that mission sort of on the rooftops and you've got pigeon coops and yeah. you've got the blizzard going on around you. You've got the quiet and then you've got that wonderful score that um, surges up every now and again. Um, brilliant. You're killing your former teammates, so it feels like the climactic mission. And yeah, getting to hear them um, when you interrogate them before you kill them. Yeah, it's just cool. Then you go into the office building, which is sort of classic splinter cell, except it turns it on its head because um, no longer is the shadow the safe place because enemies are wearing night vision. Yeah. So instead... It inverts it and the light is the safe place and shadows are where you cannot be. And leaving a body out in the light just feels so off, but in a good way. Yeah. And then you've got the fight with Moss, which again plays on this light and shadow thing. Um, and then you get to the bit with Emil's men and you get those two rooms with two men on each side and they're, they're identical rooms. And it's just, I don't know, just I, I find those bits tedious and they're not there's I don't think there's that many paths through them that you can use. So, yeah. and, and and by that point, it's quite a long mission anyway. By that point, I think you're just kind of losing a bit of wind and steam. Yes, yeah, so it's, it's a long steam, mission. Not wind. And, yeah. you bra- and you break um, wind. That's right. And you break wind. Uh, and yeah, so, so that, I would be happy if after the Moss fight, you just kind of maybe go through a couple more rooms and just face Emil and that's it. Yeah. Um, I didn't need the, the final third of that mission. No. I thought they could have chopped it off right there. But yeah, almost a classic mission. Um, in so many ways, it does things so well and it's very atmospheric and quite unique. My favourite mission is one which is a triumph of design. Um, so it's the Sea of Oltosk, which has got the ship and the glaciers and the mountains. It's and Russia, the... isn't it? Yeah, so... The reason I like this mission is because the best levels in Chaos Theory presented you with multiple paths through. This mission presents you with numerous uh, routes that you can take. And it's a mission all about choice and you can go in what direction you want. You can complete the objectives in what order you want. There are so many opportunities for different takedowns and... Um, there's so much room for experimentation you've got the tents that you can use your knife to cut open and it's in the snow and it's got a nice aesthetic too I think the uh, the oil tanker's less good um, but I quite like defusing the bombs but again I think it's a mission that goes on a bit too long that's kind of a bit of a trend in this yeah, game it is. missions that go on a touch too long Yeah. Um, which ordinarily I wouldn't criticise but here it feels like it misses the sweet sweet spot just a bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's that design ethos that I really like here. And I think it's that design that is the best of Splinter Cell. It's that choice-based gameplay where you can really go at it the way you want. Or you could, if you wanted to, run through with a shotgun. Um, that's not excluded from that, that level. Yeah. So yeah, that's a cool level. <laughs> also, another nod to Kinshasa, which, is, which starts off the first half again is really strong where you're in the, the hotel and um, you can go from room to room and then it kind of gets a bit more linear and loses a bit of steam again because it goes on a touch too long. Um, 
But what's your least favourite level? I think I know the answer to this. Probably the cruise ship. Oh, okay. I didn't know the answer to it. It's the same one as mine, though. Yeah, I I don't really like the cruise ship. It feels very out of place. Um, and same same as your other notes. I think it goes on a little bit too long. Um, but yeah, because so, that one comes after the train robbery, doesn't it? And I feel that the train robbery being one of my favourite missions into that, it kind of just yeah. really slows the pace down. What, what did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say the JBA headquarters... Um, yeah it's up there I don't like the JBA headquarters both times I think it's quite dull Um, but I feel that it's slightly better well in fact they're quite short aren't they yeah maybe that's why I don't dislike them as much as the the cruise ship because I do appreciate a short level sometimes Um, I feel the the first JBA headquarters mission when you're looking for the the documents on um, thingy Cole Yeager um isn't that great the, the second one's all right though when you kind of have to make the call about lambert um but yes i don't mind them in terms of the design because again you've got you've got a building that feels like a building it's a big way multiple yeah. paths through and different ways to approach it mm. so when i first played this game i went from the from the ground floor and moved my way upwards and then i went from the roof and worked my way downwards and you can also collect fingerprints and learn more about your JBA associates, which is quite cool. Yeah, um, it's quite a short mission, and I mean it's warehouses, so it's not the most aesthetically no. interesting, but it's uh, got quite a nice, nice atmosphere as well. Mm. I will say that version one of the JBA missions uh, at JBA headquarters, uh, which is the 360 PS3 yeah, yeah. PC version, I um, I prefer those JBA headquarter missions because you just feel like you're you you see all the members, you're in. Um, you're in plain sight and you're walking around, but you go into stealth areas. So you run into Got the you. Um, associates while you're walking around and they'll they'll comment to you and you might hear them talking about you behind your back. And it's um, it feels more like you're being ingratiated into a, a group that's probably a bit shady. I, whereas... I, I did watch a video on, uh, on this game and they were like, yeah, the JBA headquarters in version two is a bit weird because... Is like surely they should probably get to grips with the fact that they've just taken on someone who's a known stealth specialist, and then all of a sudden in their restricted areas, all of the guards are getting knocked unconscious. Yeah, it, yeah. it is weird. I agree with that. And, and what I feel like Double Agent Virgin Version Two lacks over Version One is just that bit of extra time mm. to spend with those people that you're going to end up taking out later. You get it with Jamie Washington. Yeah. You don't really get it. Well, you get it a bit with Enrica. Um, you don't really get it with anyone else. No. They're just kind of names that you, you run into occasionally. Yeah, cutscenes and um, stuff. They're mentioned a bit more, aren't they? And that's about it. Yeah. So it's a bit of an odd one. Um, I I also, I didn't say this, but I, I quite like Money Train as well. That's a good mission. But my, my least favourite mission is Cozumel as well, which yeah. is the cruise ship. And I was thinking about this. Why? What bothers me about it? It's another mission which is better in the next-gen version, I feel. Right. Um, I've seen some of the footage from the next-gen version. It looks like you're in like a wetsuit and stuff, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, it's good in that, and it doesn't drag on too long. It's quite good in there. It's not amazing, but it's a decent mission. So when I got here on the, um, the previous-gen version, I thought, oh, it's the cruise ship. I'm looking forward to this. And it starts off well enough, but... 
basically the entire mission in terms of design is you go from A to B to C, then you go back to B and down to D. Yeah. And it's very, very linear. Um, there is There are no pathways to take and it's just one room filled with people to the next room. And it's got a nice aesthetic. It's a cruise ship that's quite nice, but there's nothing going on here design-wise. No. Um, atmosphere is... Again, this is supposed to be a, a boat filled with guests. But they're you all in their room. any of the rooms. Yeah, yeah oh, there's, there's a lot of blocked pathways. There's, there's, yeah, they're all in their rooms. The rooms are all locked. You can't explore. It doesn't feel fleshed out. And then you go into the um, sort of the the hull of the, the boat and... I don't know if you've even used that right. Uh, the, the lower levels of the boat. Um, the bum. And yes. And again, it's just not, not very interesting. No. Um, so something just doesn't quite work about that mission. Um, whereas it feels a lot better in version one, which is the next gen version. And the next gen version has a level which um, this game doesn't, which is Shanghai, as I alluded to, which yeah. is a very good mission. But this, the, the final mission in that game takes place at JBA headquarters. Right. And it completely misses that great New York level, um, which is a shame. So, uh, okay, so that's the missions. I wanted to talk a bit about the multiplayer. Now, do you want to talk to us a bit about your memories and experience with the multiplayer? And what you know of it. Yeah, I don't have very many memories. I must have played it a handful of times, maybe. Uh, but I remember that the multiplayer's got its own campaign, its own story that marries in with the, the main story. Um, and it's very much more focused on team activity, you know, having to use each other to get to higher up places, like back-to-back walking up uh, ventilation ducts and stuff. Um, but yeah, all I remember is it marries in with the main story and there are some really cool multiplayer only moves that you can do um but that's all i remember really um but i know that you played through a fair bit of it for this didn't you yeah so i went back to it for this and i'd not really dabbled with it since years and years and years ago as i mentioned before playing with a friend years ago um you've got the two sides of the multiplayer you've got the extension of the spies versus mercs mode here which reappears and by all accounts was very well reviewed playable today yeah um, and then you've got the co-op, which is still playable in split screen. So I'm playing through with my girlfriend and it's a lot of fun. Um, there are a lot of co-op only moves. Um, as you say, there's back to back, there's spidering up someone. So someone's hanging from a ledge and the other person uses them to climb over and up the ledge. Um, there's climbing on each other's backs to take out cameras and, What I find more so in the co-op mode than the single player, it's a bit of a design change in that you're presented an area and you have to kind of figure out how to get from one end of the area, one door to another, and there'll be obstacles in your path. There'll be people, there'll be traps, there'll be um, cameras, whatever it is. And I'll I'll give you an example. Um, There are the green laser tripwires Um, in one area and one agent can throw the other agent across them but then that first agent can't get across themselves so the solution is for the second agent who made their way across to take out a guard and the guards have tags on them to get them through the lasers and then then you walk back with the, the the guard on your shoulder and you open up the pathway for the first player 
And it's just little things like that that um, it keeps it quite fresh. And they're like little puzzle sandboxes where you take out people. There's a lot less guards in the two-player mode. And more about puzzles. There's a lot more about bypassing this security yeah. and uh, using the new moves. And it's a lot of fun. And it does tie in directly with the uh, main story, with the campaign. Yeah. For example, um, in, in the Foundry in Iceland, Lambert says to Fisher, I've got two agents on standby. The two agents on standby are you yeah. in the co-op mode. Um, and you, you you follow along the missions in the same way that Sam does. So you've got the foundry in Iceland. You've got the, prison the penitentiary. Riot, yeah. You've got... Um, you've got... Ice, no, you've got the, 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 the boat one. Um, the one I just mentioned is my favourite mission, Sea of Otosk. You've got that. And you've got um, Kinshasa, and then I think it ends there. Um, but it's just nice to see and do. <laughs> what do you think about the visuals of this game? Obviously, you played the PS2 version. What did you, what did you think about the visuals there? Fine, I think I, it pretty much looks the same as Chaos Theory. Um, it, it doesn't look that different. The, the dark areas are very dark. Um, yeah, I, I think the character models have had like a little bit of improvement from Chaos Theory. Not that there really needed to be much, um, but yeah, I, I think it looks fine for a, a late stage PS2 game. Um, what what would you say? Yeah, two thousand and six. This game came out. I know, I know it looks a lot better on the Xbox than it does the PS2 and the, the GameCube, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, um, I think that's down to textures and bump mapping and yeah. Um, so it has a bit more, a bit more weight to the textures, I'd say. It feels a bit more fleshed out and the the lighting's improved as well. But, um, yeah, it looks like Chaos Theory. I, I'd say that maybe the art design of Chaos Theory was a bit better, but there are some nice looking areas here as well. Yeah. Um, I don't really have much more to say about it than that, really. No, <laughs> it, it, it looks fine. Well, what about the audio? Again... Um, okay the the voice acting I f- found to be a little bit um, comic um, I'm talking about Jamie Washington Jamie Washington uh, and Emile Dufresne Emile Dufresne yeah Emile Dufresne particularly when you interrogate him before you kill him um, it is very cringy uh, and, and to be fair even comic some of southern drool yeah it's kind of like uh, what you would expect a plantation owner to sound like in the late 1800s. It's very just stereotypical. Yeah, I don't understand how they can get quite literally an A-list actor in Michael Ironside. And then and get then Foghorn Leghorn for a mildew frame. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Some some yeah some guy off a plantation to some, some big some big Looney Tunes rooster to say I say boy yeah um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, was, yeah it's yeah it's not a uh, and to be fair some Lambert's it, great again. Lambert's great and and some even some of the Sounds delivery great. of my client side's lines are a bit uh, but overall it's fine I think the chaos theory stuff is probably better. Um, probably because it was more focused and didn't have two separate teams working on it. Um, but yeah, fine, I'd say. Fine. Did you know Michael Ironside is still Sam Fisher? What do you mean? So, um, I, I kind of just found this out. So I, I was watching an interview with Michael Ironside yeah. and he was talking about the Sam Fisher character and how when he first played it, 
it was just very two-dimensional on paper. Yeah, yeah. And he fleshed it out with the backstory with the family and it was all built into the character. And he said uh, near the end, I'm still Sam Fisher. And as you probably know, and uh, anyone who's a fan of the Splinter Cell series will know, in Splinter Cell Blacklist, they replaced um, Michael Ironside as Sam Fisher. Now, the official reason given was because of um, because they needed someone that they could do motion capture for the face to go alongside the voice, which sounded a bit peculiar, um, given that other games don't have to do that. Apparently, what the real reason was, th- this is what I've heard, um, was that uh, Michael Ironside had some health issues then and was not able to record Sam Fisher's voice for that game. Um, so it's not the case of them ousting him in the same way they did David Hayter. Yeah. And since that time, he's recorded the voice of Sam Fisher for um, Sm- the Ghost Recon Smash games. Brothers. <laughs> not, not for Smash Brothers. Um, I know that David Hayter also reprised his role in Smash Brothers, yeah. uh, interestingly enough. But... Yeah, for the Ghost Recon games, as, as recently as 2020, um, they had Michael Ironside voicing Sam Fisher. Well, pe- people so, are always waiting for an expectation of a Splinter Cell um, announcement as well, aren't they, from Ubisoft? They, there has been an announcement, but we don't know what it looks like. Yeah. Um, no idea. I, I would I would love to see Michael Ironside back as Sam Fisher, and he's still got some life in him. Um, he's, he's, not, he's not young, but he's, uh, he's, I think he's 74, I think. Great age, so so he could still he could still do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he still sounds the same. I think, importantly enough. Yeah. Okay. On to our question of the week. I've been playing a lot of co-op for this game, so I want to ask you a question that I don't think I've asked before. Um, we've done this podcast for so long that I may have done twenty-five um, years. 40, 74 That's years. That's correct. <laughs> we started on the birth of my client side. Yeah, correct. Um, what do you think makes a good co-op game? What are the what are some of the key ingredients? Um, it it depends what you're playing co-op games for. But personally, like I think that uh, GoldenEye's co-op is uh, it, it was it was revolutionary, wasn't it? Um, you mean you mean you mean Perfect Dark because GoldenEye didn't have co-op. Not co- not co-op. Sorry, multiplayer. Apologies. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking overarching multiplayer there because like Goldeneye, I think really pushed um, couch co-op, uh, not couch co-op, couch. You know what I mean, couch versus modes. Yes. Um, and you don't often see multiplayer co-op games anymore. I mean, there are some games that are designed around it, like the game that came out about five or six years ago, uh, the Prison Break game, A Way Out. Um, yes, A Way Out, yeah. which I played a bit of, which was okay. But I think really it depends on who you're playing with and what you want to do, I suppose. It depends what kind of game it is. Like when you and me play Halo, like I, I enjoy the levels on Halo, but when you and me play it, it's a real laugh, isn't it? And it, it was the same with Left 4 Dead being, as well. Yeah, because we're being silly. Yeah, absolutely. And there are some games that utilise carp really well and there are other games that i feel like all right why is it in there like i've never played it but i've watched multiple playthroughs of my friends joe and greg playing through the co-op of resident evil 5 and oh yeah it just doesn't seem set up for co-op that game 
Um, it's not it's not fun in the same way as it's not silly fun and no you're playing it to get to the objective Mm -hmm. to to progress Progress and story it has a different it has a different motivating factor I'd say that game does yeah I I think that's probably a good term is what the motivating factor is behind the game Um, and you know there there, there are games like San Andreas had multiplayer in the in the original yeah Uh, had co-op and did yeah you know yeah it it wasn't good but I, I don't really know how to answer the question. I think it depends what you want to get out of it, mostly. And Do you need a story in your co-op? Or would you like a story? Is that preferable? I'd say so. Like I, th- I think of games like Just Cause 3 or Just Cause 4, where it is such an open sandbox, and playing that with a friend would be fun. You know, going around to these huge, huge bases and just blowing the hell out of them. It'd be brilliant. But... I think you can only do that for so long before it gets a bit dull. Yes. You need structure and you need narrative. Objectives. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think you need a bit of narrative. You need a bit of story. But overall, it just depends on what you want to get out of it, I think is the main point I would probably point to. Point. So what's point. your favourite co-op game? Probably Left 4 Dead. Um you know, obviously we talked about that last week, and I, I've, I've had a lot of fun with Left 4 Dead over the years. Um, but you know, as, as well as that, uh, me and a couple of other friends still play uh, games online occasionally uh, on Xbox. Um, you know, we've just started playing um, Payday Three, um, oh, yeah. which is you know, a, a, a kind of a co-op game. Uh, yeah. We've also tried Back for Blood, which I mentioned during the Left 4 Dead episode, yeah. which I'd not really tried before, and that's quite fun. And then even games that aren't typically co-op games, but you can play, like depending how you want to play it, you can play it as a faction, and I've mentioned it a few times, I mentioned it last week, being DayZ. Um, for about six months, me and my friends were absolutely obsessed every weekend with all coming online at the same time, growing our faction, building a base, um, you know, griefing other factions. It, it just depends what you want to get out of it, I suppose. And after a while, p- playing Daisy, I really enjoyed that game. But because there weren't any objectives in it, because it is effectively just a multiplayer PvP game, I got bored because we'd been making our own fun, but without specific objectives, it just felt a bit aimless after a while. Um so yeah, hard question to answer, but yeah, f- favorite co-op would probably be Left 4 Dead, but there are a few others around there as well. What about you? Um, I like it when a co-op mode feels not just because usually you've got a single player mode and a co-op mode. Yeah. That's usually the way it's done. Um, you do occasionally get games that are purely co-op, um, but usually you've got that single player mode to fall back on. I like it when it differentiates itself from the single player mode. So it's not just, oh, you're playing the single player levels with an added character yes. who doesn't appear in any of the cutscenes. Um, so it's nice to have that second person and to feel like it. it uh, I like the um, double agent co op because they've got those co op moves and it, it makes it feel different from the single player. I like the fact that it supports the single player. And is alluded to again. I've used alluded to in uh, mm-hmm. in the uh, 
<laughs> in, in the single player. Um, it's 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 good. Probably uh, this may be counter to what I just said, but um, probably my fondest memories playing co-op would be the Time Splitters games. Um, spoilers: I've got one coming up on my fifteen. You'll have to wait and see which one it is. Um, Time Splitters one. For anyone that knows, Time Splitters one is not that. Um, <laughs> Great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I that's a great co-op game that is fun, but at the same time balances it with objectives and really feels like it's made for co-op, even though it's perfectly playable in single player. And um, I, I suppose that if you really wanted to as well with that game, that if you invited Mr. Blobby over to your house, you could play it with him. Did you know that he's the secret boss ah. between Moss and Emil Dufresne? That's, that's correct, yes. Um, actually, J- JBA actually stands for John Blobby's Army. Um, not sure if you knew that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. There you go. <laughs> Obligatory mention. And did you know that Emil Dufresne's uh, a pseudonym for Noel Edmonds? <laughs> ah, I see. It all ma- it all makes sense now, doesn't it? It does. It does. The Noel plot Edmonds. thickens. I, w- I was going to say something, and I thought. <laughs> No, because that would be slander. I won't Don't do, do slander. <laughs> um, okay. As we've started doing, describe this game in a single word. Choices. I mean, it's a very okay, I like very that. basic word, but yes, choices or decisions. Uh, choices and decisions, one or the other. Take your pick. What's yours? Uh, I like that. Um, for me, the word I, th- I can think of is continuation. It's everything that you loved about Chaos Theory, but more. It's those additional levels you wanted, an additional storyline in the same engine. Um, yeah, and that's all it needs to be. Um, Maybe I'll change one to consequences, actually, because actions have consequences. Yeah. There you go. Does it deserve to be on the top 100 list? Um, that's where it gets interesting. Yeah. I mean, it definitely deserves to be here above Pandora tomorrow because that game's abs- absolute dross. That was my that was going to be my argument. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd say so, uh, and I feel that you've just uh, played your hand by saying that you agree with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's simple for me because I I don't dislike Pandora tomorrow as much as you do. I think it's got some very good levels in there. It's more of a mixed bag, yeah. and it's not the highs of Splinter Cell. But to me, um. Double Agent version 2 is a game that I would prefer to play over Pandora tomorrow most days of the week. All days of the week. Every single so, day. Every single day forever. Um, so for that reason, if there are two Splinter Cell games on the top 100 list should be this already, which theory. there are, yeah, I, I would just say it, it should be the games that run the Chaos Theory engine and... Double Agent is the natural continuation of that, and it's just a blast, isn't it? It's just, I mean, I think you can tell, listener, from the way that we've discussed this game and how this episode wasn't us disagreeing, or I think you could you could get an idea of some of our appreciation for this game, and for that reason alone, I think it deserves to be there. Do you know, do you know um, when we played we certainly... the original uh, Pandora Tomorrow? Well, it's got to be two and a half years ago, isn't it? February 2021. Yeah, that was that's, that's about right. Two and a half years. That was about yeah, about a year into our journey. 
Yeah. Madness. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that, does Not it? Not at all. Feels like three days ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So both agreed there. Yes. Um, for, for once. What's coming up next time on the list? Where was it? On the episodes yes, it, on the podcast. On the thing. It was going to be something different. However, it's um, a slightly difficult game to procure. Um, so we're pushing that back and moving something forward. So it's my turn next time. And we are going to be playing uh, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, uh, which originally came out on, if you're in the UK, uh, the Sega Mega Drive. Or if you're in the US, I think it was called the Sega Genesis, I think. Um, so yes, another another platformer from me, um, from the 90s. Um, from the 1800s. From 1888. And it was designed by Jack the Ripper. Um, but yeah, it's, it's probably one of the most interesting um, Sonic... Well, probably one of the most interesting Sonic games just because of the the mystery surrounding it regarding Michael Jackson. If I'm, I'm not sure if you're aware of any of that stuff. I, I know vaguely of it. Yes. But yes, I'm sure we all... Yes. It's something to do with the soundtrack, isn't it? Yeah, it's 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 kind of been confirmed, but never officially, officially confirmed that Michael Jackson um, did the, the, the music design for Sonic 3. And I think if you really listen to it, you kind of you can kind of pick it up. But it, it, it's all but been definitely confirmed that he, he did. Okay. Uh, he did do it. Um, so, cool little So, before aspect. we play it, mm. anything I should know? I've not played this game but I don't believe I've played it I may have you know you dabble with Sonic yeah particularly the first three Sonic games they all feel very similar yeah so I might have played it but I don't have any recollection of it Uh, I would say the best way to play this game is you get the choice at the start of the game whether you want to play as Sonic whether you want to play as Sonic and Tails or if you want to play as Knuckles Um, I would say start the game as Sonic and Tails because uh, okay. you can utilize tails. There you go. That's the advice. Utilize tails. Okay. Um, as much as you utilize can. Tails. Whilst playing as Sonic and Tails, don't just play as Tails because that's rubbish. You don't want to play as Tails. I mean, nothing wrong with Tails, but you know, it's not. It's out of order. It, that's right. Um, bullying. <laughs> but bullying a little fox with two tails. It's out of order. Um, but yes, that's 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 for next week. Um, a little bit of Sonic the Hedgehog. So. Yes, as usual, you can find us on social media. You can email us at the long and short of it podcast at hotmail.com. And as always, please, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with someone that might also like Splinter Cell or give us a rating or a follow or something nice. Um, so, yes, that is all for, 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 for this week from us, I think. Uh, anything else from you for today? No, that's it. Great news. Well, we'll see you next week for Sonic 3. And in the meantime, take care. Cheerio. See you on the next one.